2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and steadfast with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is God's word. Morning. Well, I'm going to do something that I have never done before in the 16 or 17 years I've been preaching, which is I'm sort of going to preach two books of Scripture at one time. We're going to go through uh, 2 Peter and the book of Jude kind of as one piece. And so they are, I didn't really realize, and I sort of should have probably, I've been to seminary for goodness sake, that how similar these books are, how their themes are similar, how even verses, they're, they're two short books, three chapters in Second Peter, and just one in the book of Jude. And I didn't realize how similar, and, and we'll see, and I'm going to actually sit and compare how much these two speak of the same uh, situation that they were dealing with in the 60s in, in Rome and what they were trying to address. They're kind of difficult books. I've preached now through, I'm trying to preach through all 66 books of the Bible, though something like Psalms and Proverbs will be a little tough, but I'm trying to really preach through the whole Scripture because all Scripture is commended to us. It's, it's good for us to see that, but Frankly, a lot of scriptures are easier than others. So the last year or two, you know, you got in a lot of Job and Ecclesiastes and Leviticus because I ran through the, you know, the good ones sort of early. And yet, I feel like, at least in the response, God has been gracious to reveal stuff to us that if you only read the sort of happier ones or the easier ones, we miss some of these lessons. And Second Peter and Jude can be kind of like that. They're while they're short books, in some ways there's some troubling things in both of these books. If you know the Bible uh, well, you'll recognize that in these books you read things that you kind of go, huh? These books make reference to 
books that aren't in our canon of Scripture. You know, we have 66 books that in the Protestant canon have said, this is God's inerrant, infallible word, and we wrestle with that. But then there's a lot of other literature. It wasn't like that was the only stuff that was written around that time that talked about Jesus and about these things. There are a number of other books that were out that didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. And so both Second Peter and Jude talk about several of these books. First, uh, Enoch is one. The Testament of Moses is another. And so when you're reading through it and you say, well, what do I do with that? Does that make that, because it's in the canon of Scripture, does it that make that book now inerrant? It interprets Genesis and other things based on this book. So it's kind of weird to go through. It also talks about doctrines that we're really unfamiliar with, like doctrines of angels and things that we go, I don't quite know what to do with that. So we're going to kind of track some of that stuff down and wrestle with that. And, and also the tones of the books are like in your face. It's, it's, like, it's as if I got up here and began to call out kind of Christian teachers. You know, within the Christian body, you have a range of people teaching things. We always have. This isn't new to today. But you have people, right, all over the spectrum teaching biblical doctrine. And some may not be your cup of tea, but falls within orthodoxy. And some, you may think, whoa, what are they talking about? Well, it's as if the writers of Jude and Second Peter basically call out these guys and say, not only is what they're teaching wrong, but they're living lives that are awful and names names and names what they're doing. So it's just kind of like reading the National Enquirer. I mean, you sort of have this sense as you're going through this that, so what do we do with that? Because the tone of that is not so much what we're going to find in a lot of other scriptures. So we're going to unpack all that because I think there's things for us to learn and things for us to glean through all that. So I will focus more on Second Peter in the next three or four weeks. I'll focus more heavily on Jude, but I'll be bringing both in at both times. So I got to remember here the context. Peter is writing. We're going to look at the purpose for which Peter writes. We're going to look at the power he says is going to be necessary to live the Christian life in difficult times. We're going to talk about the pursuit of that power. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to go to the purpose for which Peter wrote. We're going to look at the, the power to live the Christian life in difficult times and how do you pursue the Lord in that power. So if you've got your Bible, open to Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at the, the purpose for which he wrote. Verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. We'll talk about these qualities in a minute. It's referring to what we've just read. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. We don't usually use that phrase anymore. What's he saying? I'm going to die soon. Now, the circumstances on that, we don't know exactly because he doesn't say, but it's quite likely that this was written during the time when Christians were being killed in the time of Nero, mid-60s. That's when they think both Paul and Peter died uh, during a persecution of that time. He well could have been in jail or under some sort of heavy persecution. Don't know, but he believes And it looks like he was right that he was going to be putting off of the body soon. I think that's how I'll say it from now on. 
when I get old. I'll say, I'm about to put off my body. That sounds, that sounds so nice. These euphemisms we use are great. All right. I'm going to put off my body soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. So he said some word that that's going to happen. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, there's another good euphemism, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, it's not the things you don't know, believers, you've never heard before that are going to undo you in difficult times. It's what you know and don't actually practice or what you know and just sort of conveniently forget. And so he's saying, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Not that you don't already know things. We so often need to be reminded of what we already know. I mean, we could come every week and just say, you know that Jesus loves you and has your back and died for you. And we can be reminded of that each and every week, and it would be a good thing, right? There's many truths that if you've been around Christian things for long, you've heard, but it's, do you believe them? Have you internalized them? Are you living them? Because there's this great discrepancy between what we hear and know and what we actually live. So this is his purpose in writing is to stir them up. Here he is, maybe in prison or in some sort of distress, knowing he's about to die. And this is what he wants to communicate to people he loves in this, probably this region of churches in, in what we know as Turkey, but was Asia Minor, to whom Peter had written the first letter. Peter, of course, we know much about if you know Bible things. He's the leader, was kind of the de facto leader of the apostles. He was not a perfect guy. He was one of those guys that, you know, speaks before he thinks. And, uh, you know, I've done that. I know he's, we, we kind of have some sense. We have a lot of stories about Peter. Gospel of Mark, quite likely, was sort of Peter's recollection of his time with the Lord. This is now 30 years later, a man who didn't always show great maturity when he was following the Lord. Sometimes he did, but sometimes he didn't. He's like you and me. Here he is 30 years later now. We, we sang this morning, on that day when my strength is failing, when the end draws near and my time has come, what will be our song? What will it be at that time? Will we want to sing his praise? Will we want to declare to others, look, here's what's important. Here's what matters. So that's this short letter. And he, he doesn't start with a lot of niceties in terms of, I thank God for this or that, the way Paul often does in other epistles. He just jumps into, watch out. You got you to gotta live this way. So his purpose in writing I want to make one more point because I think it's an important thing that he uses in verse 12. He says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. The word for established there, sterizo, is a word that means a support that fixes, that plants you down, that keeps you steady. And the word was used like a trellis. So I have a picture. If you've got that picture up there, Andrew, I, I went up to this, my side yard, uh, I think this morning, and that's my little homemade trellis. I cut down, I'm like a woodsman. I'm like a pioneer. <laughs> I cut down little pieces of wood from the trees kind of in the common area behind our property. And, um, and I, I, last year, that thing supported a lot of raspberries and a lot of chiggers, lived on those lived on those uh, things there. And, but what happened was without that, 
those things are just running all along the ground and those prickly raspberry bushes are just running everywhere. It, it fixes, I buried them deep enough that it fixes and you have something to grow on, right? We've all done this. So I've got my, my little one that I'm going to plant a little growing, not turnips or radishes. I'm going to grow little, I'm going to grow little vine or something here. And we'll, we'll put it up as a reminder of this. This is a starizo. So what, Paul, what Peter is saying is, I'm going to establish you, but you need something that's fixed. Here's the problem. We live in an era where reality is how we feel about things, right? This is one of the things in our world spinning around is that there is no objective truth. It's however we feel, however people perceive things is this. Here's the problem with that is that feelings change, right? If you follow your heart, right? It's the worst advice in the world. Just follow your heart. My heart leads me right inside to my chest. That's where it leads me. It doesn't lead me anywhere eternal. Now, I know what people are saying in terms of there's, there's uh, you know, I, I, I get that there's more to that. But the Bible says that human activity, human life should be anchored on an event that happened that is unchangeable, that it doesn't matter how you feel about it or not. The Bible's claim is that Jesus Christ, a man, fully, fully man, died, dead, heart stopped beating, breath stopped coming out, completely dead. The power of God raised him from the dead, and a 100% human being, yes, divine as well, started breathing again. His heart started beating, talked to people ate food, looked around, walked around, and everything changed. Storizo. Power. Peter says, I'm an eyewitness of this. This is where he's going to go in this. Because Peter couldn't care less about the feelings of the people who were teaching. Because they were teaching a different gospel. And all around us today, we're going to have people telling us how they feel and how they perceive. And Peter says... I witnessed it with these. I saw the man die. I walked with him prior to his death, and then I ate fish with him after his death. So don't tell me how you feel about this or that. I'm telling you, you have got to be anchored on truth that matters. Now, we're reading from 2,000 years later, and we're saying, well, I didn't, I w- I didn't witness it. We're going to go into that because Peter's going to talk about this and say, well, here, what do you do with an eyewitness account? You either believe it or you don't, right? And Peter says even more than that, you get to experience life change. If we are solely taking someone's word for it and we have no ability, it hasn't changed and touched our life in, in, a, in any way, we've missed the gospel. Let me give you a couple other words why I bring this up and why, because we're going to come back again to, to knowledge, this portion of what do you know. And this is going to come up in Peter and in Jude several times. This word, sterizo, first let me say it's, it is something that you, each individual here has to come to a point of decision on as to whether you believe. 
We can't believe collectively. On the other hand, we support each other in that supportive way in a collective sense because I need you. You need other believers in your life. Right now, we live in days where our culture is, is waving over us with all sorts of claims of truth. And as believers, it can feel like we're being just banged around, can't it? And so, if we don't have other people saying at a time, we're saying, well, is that true? Is, is God really? Did the Bible really? I need you and I need others to say, hey, my life changed this is true. It encourages me and it reminds me that when my faith is tempted to waver. So here's one time where this word is used, and I realize this is Old Testament, but when the, the Greek word storizo was used in the Greek translation of the, New, of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, don't worry about that. Just believe me that the word storizo is used in this context in the Old Testament. Moses, during the battle, his hands were heavy. They took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it. And when, the, when uh, remember the story, Moses' hands are raised up. The battle is being won. And his hands get tired because he can't raise them and they sink down. And it says that two men, Aaron and Hur, supported Sterizo. They supported his hands and they lifted them up so that his hands were thus steady. They were Sterizo until the sun set. Exodus seventeen twelve. Two men took someone whose strength was failing and physically supported them. Well, we may not need physical support under our hands, but I'll tell you, we need emotional and spiritual and truth support. Second thing, when Simon Peter, author of this book, is with Jesus recorded that he tells Jesus, hey, you don't really have to go to the cross. don't have to do that. And what is Jesus' very harsh rebuke? He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you, shake you like wheat. Remember, wheat was winnowed, the shaking, right, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, so Jesus knows Peter's going to turn back after his faith has failed or has been weakened. And he says, once you've turned back, strengthen your brothers, Storizo. And here Peter is 30 years later saying, you guys, Nero's killing you. We think we've got it bad in our culture. Try having the authorities drag you into the Colosseum and say, hey, would, do you want to be a Christian or do you want to get eaten by lions? What do you think? Pretty stark. And the reason that people then and the reason that people now can stand for their faith at a day when it's not popular is because they know what they know. It, your, your faith won't be enough wouldn't be enough then and it won't be enough now if you're just basing it on me and, well, Tim's a pretty good guy and he seems to have a lot of faith, so I, I hope it's true. you got to know. You've got to know. You have to have experienced something. 
So the power to do this, where is the power to do this? Look at verse 3, back up top of 2 Peter, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Paul says in the first chapter of Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The death and resurrection, remember that objective event is where our faith is rooted. It has to be rooted in that. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, Christianity is not true because it works. I think it does work. I think it is a good way to live. It's not true because it works. It's not like a toaster, right? Say, that's a good toaster because it toasts well. Well, Christianity's good because, you know, you love people. Christianity's true if Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, it's a lie. It's not true. So this is the only question that matters. We can talk about evolution. We can talk about all the miracles. We can talk about they're all all, important or whatever. It all is worthless if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. That's what the Bible claims. Our faith is in vain. So you better figure out if you believe that or not. And if you do, it changes everything. And it should change every part of your life and the way you live. And if he didn't, then have at it. Really. I mean, I don't, I don't say that flippantly. I'm really truthfully. It's the most important thing. It's the pivotal event in humankind if he rose from the dead. And this is what Peter is trying to say. The power to live has been granted to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if that happened, nothing is impossible. We sang that this morning. Nothing is impossible. If a guy, if, if God's powerful enough to do that, he can do anything in your world. Do you believe that? If, you know, do you? Because that's what Peter is trying to get them to say. Yes, I believe that. That he's already granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Does he say, I've given you everything to make your life easy. You'll never be sick. You'll never have trouble. No. Clearly, the Bible says you're going to have trouble in this world. I think hopefully we're beyond that, thinking that there's no troubles. You haven't lived more than five minutes as a believer if you think there's no troubles. But he's given you everything to experience real life in Christ. The power is there and it's available, but it's through what? What does it say it's through? Verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We'll talk more in the in coming weeks about what this kind of knowledge is. Again, we, we've You've heard this, we've talked about this, but there's knowing intellectually something, right? And then there's knowing relationally. Christianity is like more like, I can say if I got, you know, if, if I, I, didn't, I didn't marry Nancy through like a speed dating thing or whatever, but you can get like a curriculum, you know, a CV on somebody when you're dating them and you know them a little bit, you know what they like and they don't like and their height and their weight and their eye color and all that. Do you know them? Get married to somebody, right? You figure out how much you don't know about them. 30 years later, we're still figuring out how much we don't know about each other. And yet, I know a lot about her now. I, you know, she, one glance, right, from my wife <laughs> speaks volumes. Why? Because I do know her. I don't know everything. 
And here's the amazing thing. The God of the universe says, you can begin to know me the way I know you with a depth. Is it easy? No, but it's possible. And he desires that through the knowledge of him, not just here, but actual relational knowledge of him, we change. We actually change. Finally, what's the pursuit of that? Does that mean, okay, well, he's, he's done it all, and, um, you know, so I got, I got nothing. I don't have to do anything. Well, of course not. You've been around here long enough to know we have to do stuff. It's not the stuff you think you have to do, though. It's different stuff. So what's he say? Here's how the great and precious promises, here's how we're going to become part, partakers of his divine nature. It's, Blows, should, should blow, blow us away. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort, work really hard, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, there's that knowledge again, and uh, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So it's all crowned with love. These sound very similar, and they are very similar to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? A lot of the same qualities are talked about, patience, self-control, gentleness, all that. How do we make every effort? Well, it goes back again to knowing the one who loves you. If you're confident that somebody loves you and that they're not going to leave you and they're not going to get mad at you, it makes all the difference in the world in terms of your ability to speak your mind, when you know they're not going to slam out mad or tell you why you're wrong. Even if they disagree with you, you know if they love you, they're sticking around for the long haul. And as we pursue him, it's got to be rooted not in trying harder, because I tell you, it's pretty fruitless. I mean, you can do a little bit, I guess, but it's pretty fruitless to say, I'm going to be more patient next time, because in the midst of the frustration, it's super hard. But if we're rooted in the knowledge of how much God loves us and how patient he has been with us, and that becomes our daily digging of how much the Lord has done for us, is that then when we turn around and and the frustrations of life and with others, it begins to change us because it's rooted not in our love getting better, but in our knowledge of his love for us growing deeper. I think this is going to be uh, an ex- exciting study. It's going to be challenging in some ways because we're going we're to see some things that are going to, I think, really be uh, relevant to us today, but also troubling as to how we respond to that. But God's Word isn't here necessarily always to comfort you, sometimes to trouble us, but it troubles us always for our good. So let's put ourselves under God's Word as we, we read Second Peter and Jude. I'll you could probably read both of these in about mm, 10 to 15 minutes. So over the next few weeks, I would just encourage you each week, at least read a chapter, if not all four chapters, three of Second Peter and one of Jude. And let's begin to steep in this for a month or two. And let's see what God would do as we look at his word together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you that uh, your word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to us. It's, it's a guide, or, but it's also a truth-telling machine. Lord, it tells us about ourselves. It tells us about the world around us. It tells us about the God who is, 
not the God we wish were sometimes or the gods we create, those idols, but the God who is so much better than the God we would imagine. And Lord, we want to be rooted in your love. We want to have the knowledge of you. Lord, we can only do that as we look in the face of Jesus because your incomprehensibility as a divine being, creator of the universe is just beyond us. But when we see Jesus, we see the God we can touch, we can handle, that we can communicate with, talk to. And so as we look into his face, we see what love is. This is how we know, First John told us, that what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Because it was on the night in which you were betrayed that you took bread, and when you'd given thanks, you broke it, and you gave it to your disciples, and you said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, you took a cup of wine. When you given thanks, you gave it to them and said, drink this, every one of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we humbly receive these gifts of bread and wine. Your body, your blood shed for us, a token of your coming again. Lord, we live in this in-between time in terms of the first coming and the second. And Lord, we want to live with the courage that comes when we know the one who controls all things, the sovereign God who showed us what love is by dying for us, by suffering. Lord, release us to lay down our lives for others because you've done it for us. And help us to live with abandon, knowing that everything is all right. Because you went before us, because you're the first fruits of all that is So, Lord, we would receive this this morning at the point of our need as we come and as we take this in faith. Lord, we would ask that you would remind us, assure us, place us right in the center of your will as we submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.